what is going on today. Um, this is your humble correspondent here, John Ross Marcus Cox with way too much JRMC. Um, coming back at you today with some more educational stuff. Um, but you know, really, it's cultural. Um, obviously, it has to do with, our, with, with children and that kind of thing. But, I mean, the ramifications are just so far and wide-ranging that uh, it'd be, uh, it wouldn't be smart to label it just education-related, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So let me start out today by saying you know, my apologies. It's been... I guess a couple of weeks now since I've since I've done a podcast. For those of y'all that don't know me personally, um, I ought, I also head coach a youth football team, eight to ten year olds here in, here in Louisville, Kentucky. And Lord have mercy, I'll be honest with you, if it doesn't beginning like late June through October, if it doesn't take up about ninety five percent of my time, I don't know. I don't, then I don't know what else, what does. It's ninety five percent football and then five percent trying to keep my. Uh, my my old lady and my other my other three kids um from feeling like I don't love them at all um since it's just my oldest boy that plays on the team but you know that's that's kind of kept me from being able to stay focused on the podcast and all that um so yeah but we had you know just to kind of give you a little update so we had our first game this past this past Saturday and you know really those kids um you know other than just my kids but those 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 kids, the ones I'm coaching, and whether it be football, basketball, baseball, whatever, those are the reason I that I I'm involved in all this. I mean, I I just care about all them so much, and see myself in so many of them, the ones without, you know, without fathers in the homes and and uh, growing up, you know, living in poverty, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I just feel like it's our uh, duty as adults to give back as much as we possibly can. But you know, we, we had our first game this this past weekend, and we won it, but man, we won it in crazy fashion. We did triple overtime. Um, ended up winning it because we scored a touchdown and then on our two point conversion. Got took a cheap shot from the other team, and they just got tired. And I think they got exhausted and cheap shot our quarterback, and it backed them up. And we ended up winning on a defensive stand. It was it was awesome to see. Obviously, I'm getting super pumped. It's my horse, um, but just getting to see the kids be excited and the, the parents and the fans and the you know just all the hard work and dedication and everything that goes into the to the game of, you know, the, specifically the game of football. It's just beautiful seeing it um, play out in a positive way for kids and for adults and, and all that stuff. And, you know, I kinda, I'll, I'm going to start there on, uh, you know, I think you know, the same way I think that uh, Kentucky is a good example of a microcosm of what's going on in the rest of the country. I feel like football is like, when it comes to sports, man, it's just like the one – it's the most important thing I think that little boys, especially can, can do. I mean, just the stuff you learn, you know, from it. I mean, it's not just about being the one greatest kid on the team or being the most athletic. I mean, it gives it's the one sport where, you know, kids that are super athletic all the way down to not athletic at all, but just want to be a part of a team and experience camaraderie and support, you know, their their peers in any way possible. I mean, everybody can find a niche, you know, on a football team. And uh, you know, and improve themselves emotionally, spiritually, athletically. You know, there's just always there's always a way to get better. Um, you know, I got a, one of my one of my buddies. I won't, I'm not gonna say his name here, but we had a conversation on individual versus you know team type sports. Um, and he, I couldn't put it any in any better 
way than he did. And so I'm just going to kind of quote you what he said. So he said, the major difference between individual team sports is the elite athlete on a team gives their teammates hope, confidence, camaraderie, belonging, etc., to those kids that wouldn't make it otherwise. He said the greats will the greats will be great regardless of the sport they choose to play. He said, but for, for the role player, being able to fill a niche is life-giving, but they were able to contribute to something greater than themselves and help the stud go into bigger and better things. That connection can never be broken. That role player is forever elevated because of that relationship. And so I know this is kind of a little tangent I'm going on here, but, you know, I really – I do think that encapsulates the game of football and why it's so important, but I also think it encapsulates, you know, a, gra- you know, a, a true grassroots movement um, from a cultural standpoint, political standpoint. You know, this is what we're doing here. It's a team sport. You know, I don't care if there's a, if it comes a day where I got a million subscribers or two million or, you know, you go some, some kind of crazy number. Like the, the great, you know, the person that's at the top of that that's doing that is only going to be there because of the the role players and the people that are helping with research and the people that are coming to all the meetings and missing kids' practices and, you know, just spending all their spare time being engaged and focused and and caring about all this stuff. Um, You know, so I wanted to – I'm going to give that guy a shout-out. He knows knows who he is Um, that sent me that. And I also want to shout-out my – Shut up, my Lightning football team, because of you know how wonderful kids they are, and I wish I could show pictures of pictures of everybody. I wish I had a permission slip from all their parents, but I, I do not have that. But you know, I just think that especially the team I coach is just such a perfect example of what what the purpose of education and community and everything's supposed to be. I mean, you got kids from all different backgrounds. You got black kids, white kids, rich kids, poor kids, smart kids. Actually, they're all smart. I can't say there's another smart on there, so I gotta. I can only say smart there. But kids from all all ways of life, and there's, we got pictures of us at the end of practice, breaking down and praying, and just seeing them all smile and all seeing each other for you know what's in each other's heart. Um, and there's just the stuff they they go through together. They'll, that bond will never be broken. So, all right, I'll move on to the next. Let's move on to the actual topic here. Um, so. It was a long first seven minutes, wasn't it? So today's main topic, we're going to be talking about mental health in schools. You know, what's appropriate, what isn't, and what is the education establishment? What are they? What are they doing behind the scenes? Um, so my show today was I planned on doing one on school choice and uh, and a report that just came out here recently from. A guy named Gary Houchins um, with Ed Choice Kentucky had posted some surveys and stuff like that on the growth of homeschooling and non-public schooling here in, in Kentucky. And then you know, I was going to relate it to Nationwide, and I'm still going to do that. But yesterday, or two nights ago, about 11 o'clock, I got notified that we had a in, here in Kentucky, we had an interim hearing, interim uh, legislative hearing for the Education Committee and they were going to be talking about the Jefferson County public school system and mental health. And so I pivoted real quick and I woke up the next morning and drove down there for that. And so we're going to talk about that a a little more here. Um, So just to give you a little recap and a little information on on where we're headed. So those of y'all listening, watching all that, uh, you know, again, first of all, thanks for 
tuning back in with me here. Please like, like, comment, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Um, the show, if, if, if you if you think the content's worthy of that. Um, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Rumble, you know, you name it. You can find you can you can find it on there. It'll be in the show notes, all the links to everything. Um, but you know, it really the success of this show will really be dependent on all you guys and you know, getting spread out on a grassroots level. Um, so again, you know, th- th- thanks for tuning in. So we're going to start today by looking at an article that's not necessarily specifically uh, referencing what we're what we're you know what I'm going to eventually be talking about, but I do think it's relevant with you know to the overall theme and where I think that the educational establishment is headed with all this stuff. So we've talked about in the past the gender ideology stuff and bathroom policy and, you know, yada, yada, all that, you know, all that we've talked, you know, I know I've talked ad nauseum on this Treasury ruling department or Treasury department ruling when it comes to how they can spend these ARPA funds and the ESSER money and all that. But all that was discussed yesterday during during this hearing and so let's jump right into this article i'm just going to touch on a few things and then i'll get into the meat of what uh i'm going to talk to y'all about today so here we go make sure i got you on the right screen yep there we go so this is a new york post article that came out on the 15th um kaylee mcgee white posted it so it's biden's new title nine rules deputize teachers to override parents on gender gender identity i know y'all remember us talking about this a couple episodes ago and my point was that they were going to be using title nine and the language in it even though in the letter that went out to these schools from the depart from the usda regarding school lunches and not being able to and how they're going to lose funding if they were you know practicing discrimination you know, having discriminatory discriminatory practices um in schools regarding the gender identity and and uh, sexual orientation, that kind of thing, and it it framed it as if they were just going to lose this funding, but really the terminology they were using, the harm, saying that saying that not that not affirming someone's gender identity was harming a child, they were really setting the stage for being able to extrapolate that out into the home. I mean, if you're if that's harming a child, not affirming their gender identity, it doesn't matter if it's coming from a teacher or a doctor or, you know, in this case, what I'm trying to get at, a parent, it's harm. So, I mean, they're setting the stage and, you know, moving the needle a little here, a little there um, to make it to where you can't push back on this stuff. So let's start in here. We've got um, Team Biden's proposed new Title IX regulations make it clear they are coming for your children. In administration ostensibly drafted the rules to protect gay and transgender students from bullying and harassment, but they do nothing of the sort. In reality, President Biden is handing teachers a weapon to subvert parental prerogatives. Title IX is a simple statute that outlaws sex sex discrimination in education. It says nothing about gender or gender identity, but the Biden administration wants to put its own spin on the law and redefine sex to include these categories. This change has far-reaching implications, one that one is that it will be used to keep parents in the dark on everything from curricular material to the fact that a child is socially transitioning at school. Like I've said, like I said before, I discussed this on previous episodes. 
how on how the term harm is being used to describe the results of schools denying transgender students from using you know, their preferred bathrooms and using preferred pronouns and all that. But it's not just me being conspiracy theory JRMC that's recognizing what they're doing here. I mean, this is this is from a mainstream publication at the New York Post um, that is saying the same exact thing. They're going to use this stuff to come after your children. And so this hearing we're going to discuss today that occurred in Frankfurt yesterday, it goes right it goes right in line with this with this whole um, ideology and using Title IX and the terms defined in it to come after you know parents and to target them for you know harming children or abusing children or or, or, or what have you. So you know, that's what that's what we're gonna. That's what we're going to get into today. Um, before doing that, let's also jump into this. I haven't spoke to y'all since you know a lot of masking stuff has went down, especially here in Kentucky, um, in Louisville, Kentucky specifically. So for those of you all listening across the country, you know I keep saying to everyone, if it's happening in Kentucky, it's probably happening everywhere. Well, in this instance, I think it's only happening in like seven, six other places other than Louisville that kids are still masked up. So. But since then, there's been two surveys. I know in the last two shows, I've done surveys um, and talked about surveys about progressive policies, and that's why teachers are leaving and whatnot. Well, we have that coming out in another another way now as well, where the Jefferson County Teachers Union is has had two surveys since the last time we spoke, and they in both of them, the majority of the teachers surveyed, they were all union members, opposed the mask mandate here in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. After the first one, the union accused, you know, our little Facebook, I'll say little, our parental Facebook groups, got, we got 2,500 or 3,000 parents and stakeholders in, in this group of subverting and manipulating the data. Come to find out the only way to manipulate the data was teachers could clear their cash or their cookies and end up, you know, and go back and take it a second time, but it was still attached to that email so they'd still see the same email voted three times but there was no other way of being able to actually manipulate these votes um but because of that they did it a second time well the second time it came back almost exactly the way it was the way the way it was the first time as far as how many people were opposing it how many teachers and all that but uh you know my apologies that i haven't been back on air you know since then but just know we've been fighting for you during all this i've been i'd contacted democrat lawmakers and spoke with them um obviously republican ones that i know were in our camp and all that and i thought we had a chance of getting it overturned and last night they rejected it again and so you know i know everyone here in the louisville kentucky area that's um wants this stuff to end is engaged and is reaching out to lawmakers but listen if you're listening anywhere else across this country. I know our, our group got referenced on Clay and Buck earlier today. Any other state, any other, it doesn't matter. Reach, like, please reach out to legislators in Kentucky, school board members in Jefferson County, and look, apply pressure. I mean, this stuff needs to be all over the news. I mean, it needs to be on Fox News. It needs to be on major podcasts, you know, Tim Cast, Tim Poole and the uh, Tim Cast IRL crew, Jack Basobic. Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, all you guys, we need y'all. We need you here in, in Louisville, Kentucky, to 
apply pressure and make this stuff front and center of the um, national conversation around schools and COVID and, you know, all that, all that nonsense. Um, but again, what, what we're going to talk about today is if this stuff's happening here, it's happening everywhere. Okay, so again, yesterday, August, August 16, 2022, educational hearing. I walked in there, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, a lot of these things, you don't even know that they're, they're going on a lot of times. Um, even some legislators don't think know they're going on. But you know, I, go, I get in there. You know, we got normal career journal people, people from the local news. Um, Dr. Marty Polio, JCPS's superintendent, was supposed to be speaking. And I thought that was going to be the most important segment on there. Um, but it wasn't. Not even close. Sitting at the front, we had Lieutenant Governor Jacqueline Coleman. And then we had this group of students uh, from Team Kentucky. It says they were the Student Mental Health Initiative Department of Education Student Advi Advisory Council. So it was all, it was a, you know, eight or nine, I, I, I want to say kids, but we'll say students. It was either currently in high school or recent high school graduates. Um, and they were coming in there to discuss mental health in schools. Okay, well, I mean, okay, that sounds like, that sounds like, you know, something we should do, right? I mean, it's something, we, we all care about kids' mental health. But man, did a lot of stuff get, uh, get exposed and, and brought to light regarding social emotional learning and I think it's the Department of Equity, Inclusion and Behavior and these surveys that are going on in schools that just seem like they are, you know, so benign in nature and then you dig into it and you realize that man, they are just they are setting the stage and using terms and and like doing everything they can to frame this stuff in certain ways so that people don't pay attention and it's my it's my goal to make sure that I help keep the keep the story focused where it needs to be focused. And so uh, we get in there first. So Jacqueline Coleman, you know, opens the opens the hearing and introduces the student advisory council. And they started out by making everyone take a five question mental health check in survey. Okay. First question was on a scale of one to five. Please indicate how excited you are to hear this presentation. The answers range from it's fun, it's fine, I'd rather be somewhere else though, to I'm pumped. Okay, like believe it or not, one person actually answered a number two, meaning they would actually they would much prefer being being some being another spot. And uh, I do, a, I try to do a good job, not calling anybody out, but I, I must say that I, I bet it's, I, the, that one answer had to be from the guy in the room that just lost, that just lost the primary, Ed Massey, he's out. He still has to be there though. It was hilarious. So, uh, I bet, I bet it was him. And so Ed, if Ed, uh, Mr. Ed, if you're listening, shoot me a little email confirming if that was you or not, because I bet it was, um, one of the other questions was, please choose the best color below that reflects how you feel right now. And there was like nine options. And then please, please enter an emoji that reflects how you are feeling right now. Like smiley faces, you know, yada, yada. I mean, so they're framing it as if this is the type of surveys that are being conducted 
in regards to mental health check-ins and mental health in schools. So their hope, and I, again, I don't think the children that are in there know this is that they're being manipulated like this by the DOE. But they're doing that so that whenever it's brought up in schools that they're conducting surveys with students, that that's what we think is happening. That they're that like, you know, they're they're that um, benign in nature and just making sure they feel good and that they're happy and no one's sad and yada yada. Well, what we really know is that that is not the type of questions that are being that are being asked in these surveys. So I'm gonna read a few others here of what you really can be expected to be to find out in these surveys. And these surveys are from this year. So listen here it says name, nickname, what you go by, pronouns is asked. And this is the surveys I'm pulling up here, this is from sixth through twelfth grade. So they're asking the sixth grader, you know, what their pronouns are. Here's some other questions. Your email, what's your email? Because it'll be recorded when you submit this form. How would you like me to address you in class? What name what name do you go by? Also, how should I phonetically pronounce your name? What are your preferred pronouns? And obviously thinking then what's something you're good at? So think about that. In, in, in the, there's four questions in that on that screen. Only one of them, I think any of us would argue it is questionable. But they've they've sandwiched it in there to where like you just kind of brush over it. You know, like a normal person could brush over it, right? Then we go into some other surveys that have that have went that have went on. This question, this is again sixth through twelfth grade, so a sixth grader could be asked this: When, if ever, did you first take a prescription drug such as Oxycontin, Percocet, Vicodin, Codeine, Adderall, Ritalin, or Xanax without a doctor's prescription? Well, even a kid that hasn't, it may be like, "Oh, well, they're asking me that. Maybe I, maybe I should have taken. Am I supposed to have taken one of those without a prescription? Like." might make me think I need to go take one, right? If you drink, where do you drink? School, home, parties, friends' homes, bars, cars, parks, fields. Okay, you're asking me if I drink as if it's an option, but I'm in sixth grade. On how many occasions, a sixth grader, on how many occasions have you used ecstasy also called MDMA, X, E, Molly, Rolls, or Beans in the past 12 months. What is the zip code where you live? During the past 12, 12 or during the past year, have you experienced any of the following? My friends, family have been treated differently because of their race. During the past 12 months, did you make a plan about how you would attempt suicide? No, I haven't, but... Should I have? Am I supposed to have a? Am I supposed to have a suicide plan? I mean, so my my point here is that like these surveys are not of the nature that they're they were framing them at this hearing. They want all the legislators to think that that when they say surveys, anytime they say sur survey, they're asking you what color you, that you would associate with your feelings, and so believe it or not, you'd think in a state with a Republican supermajority. We'd have people. We'd have a, a room full of people that was that was you know suspect of anything coming out of a Democratic governor governor's administration. But we had, I mean, I'll say we had senators in there that were taking a hook, line, and sinker. 
I mean, it was pathetic. Um, so, again, you know, they're trying to get people to look at these surveys. You know, Pluto, you know, plutonic, I think, maybe the word in nature, that, 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 that's not, that's not what's, what, what they are. They also continued to hammer home on that these surveys were anonymous. Well, you heard one of the questions I just read to you off of one of the, off of multiple surveys. One of them's asking your email address because it'll have to be, because it'll be used to check in or whatever, right? Um, then, the, you know, the, the other one that we're sitting there, that I was reading, I don't know what is, I don't know what is pinged, so I'm nervous hoping that we haven't cut off here or anything, um, was asking your zip code. So, I mean, they're doing, I mean, they're, they're going to pinpoint it the best they can, and any device you submit this to is going to have an IP address to it. So, maybe they won't record who's using, e you know, any device or whatever. They're not seeing who checked it out, but you know, any, we all need to realize anything we do digitally, there is a record of time and place and most likely who it was that was that was on that device. Um, so just take note of that. So then we got into some of the you know the hearts the heart of the numbers and um you know said so according to the CDC one in five Kentucky students with mental health one in five Kentucky students has been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. Okay, but then they said only twenty percent of this twenty percent received care from a mental health professional. According to further Kentucky surveys, it's fifty seven percent of students twelve to seventeen with a major depre depressive episode did not receive care during the pandemic. Fifteen percent of Kentucky high school students responded seriously responded that they had seriously considered suicide. And then I got to run the 16 minute mark. Obviously, I know you don't know what that means, but Lieutenant Governor Coleman, she made this statement that when it comes to a student's mental health, and I, I really am curious on how you all feel about this, she made this statement that in regards to students' mental health, the students themselves are the true experts on, on, on these matters. And you're going to see this is going to be a, a, a continuous and consistent theme throughout these. 12 or 13 pages of notes I have. I know I'm, I'm a nerd. Um, just from just from this meeting. I just want to let, I just want to make it clear from the jump when it comes to children supposedly being experts on their educational needs or their mental health needs or whatever. No, they are not. I have four children they all think they're experts. You know, even my two-year-old thinks he's an expert. My eight-year-old, for dang sure, thinks he's an expert. They they are not. We can listen. I I will listen to them. I will hear them out. But God didn't give them parents so that they could just tell us what they want and then do what they want. We we aren't necessary, if that's the case. But that's going to be a consistent theme throughout this throughout this committee hearing. So, Coleman stated that after establishing the work group to perform the task of identifying problems and to develop specific recommendations for lawmakers, every single decision made from that point on 
was made by the student advisory board members. So everything they discussed as far as it went with these the mental health, you know, that they had these things called summits where they brought kids together um, and, you know, asked them questions and all that stuff and developed recommendations for what they think needs to happen at a school level and a legislative level and all that. But she was very proud of and very specific and adamant in us knowing that every single decision made was made by the by let's just call them what it is they were kid they're kids even the eighteen year olds are kids All right so she's proud of that I think it immediately taints whatever comes out of it okay so she says they just they they des- they designed these mental health action summits they implemented them they facilitated the conversations and they dove into the data they also partnered with the Department of, Beha- of Behavioral Health under CHFS and with the Division of Family Resource Service Centers and that their representatives, I think they called them, I don't know, fuzzies or something. It was, I don't know what they were, the word they were using. It was really weird. But they were the one adult present in the room with the students and the student advisory group during these mental health summits. And they stated this multiple times. There was one adult in the room one with 30 with 30 kids most of the time and with multiple breakout sessions at each of these summits that they were conducting one adult which means the majority of everything that was going on was 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 students and kid driven discussing possibly some of the scariest most traumatic events possible right i mean you just saw they're asking about suicide and drugs and sex and pronouns and all that like these little kids, they don't have any wisdom. I'm 35. I don't have that much wisdom, right? I mean, like, I'm accumulating it, hopefully. Um, but they haven't even lived long enough to make the mistakes yet. So uh, just to kind of give you some background, like I said, they, they were they were conducting these. They conducted 10 mental health summits around the state of Kentucky. Seven were in person. Three were virtual. And it was like 300 kids ended up participating facilitated by students with one adult in the room and they, they kept acknowledging even the student that was presenting acknowledged that at each event there'd be multiple smaller breakout sessions but only one mental health professional in attendance and, li- and this was the crazy part zero of the students utilized the services of the mental health professional that was present zero of them so God knows what what state of mind or frame of mind those kids were in when once they left once they left the building. I mean, to me that just seems so ill advised and so uh so short sighted and um naive and you know, harmful. I mean the potential the potential harm that could come from that. So they had the they had these ten things and these ten events, and after that, they came. They went out and they 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 built a set of student recommendations. Like I said for the school level, for the legislative uh, for legislative action, and we'll go through these. And again, let me, let me. 
I don't say again, I haven't said this yet. Let me start by saying this. I'm, when I'm talking about these students, first of all, like we should be extremely proud of the initiative and the, the uh, discipline and determination that this entire group, the, the Student Advisory Council has shown and the, you know, the, the responsible nature of their actions and the maturity that they, that they presented their findings with. Um, they're very well spoken, very you know put together, very respectful. So nothing I'm saying is meant to say anything negative about the children that were involved in this or the you know, the young adults that were involved in this. I mean they they're doing what they've been empowered to do and obviously aren't surrounded by adults that are willing to do what needs to be done. And so they're rising to the occasion. I mean, they're have. I mean, if, if you're told, "Hey, you you have to make the recommendations," because we're not going to, then you have to, you know. Um, so I just want to I just want to say that first. I'm not. None of this is supposed to, is meant to be negative towards the kids themselves or anything like that. So all right, now now that that's out of the way, so I just don't want y'all thinking I'm being mean to being mean to kids or anything. Um, So let's start with the recommendations. First one was provide comprehensive suicide prevention in schools. Next one was allow excused mental health absences, expand access to mental health services and treatment. So that we need to increase mental health awareness and education, increase and improve mental health professional development, and then four others that they listed were offering mental health check-ins, which is one of those, which is the initial survey we talked about. Offer mental health breaks, increase awareness of support for eating disorders, and prioritizing and improving school school culture and climate. So those were the nine findings and recommendations that they that they had, and on on their surface, those things sound wonderful, right? Like I don't think anybody is going to argue against society getting better things. Okay. I think the issue comes comes when we start discussing who's going to who's going to provide these services, who's going to administer them, how are we going to oversee them? And then you know the pink elephant in the room how are we going to involve parents in this? And I'm not talking about parent representation or voted on parent, parental representation. I'm talking about individual parents and the fact that they, they have the control of their children until they're 18 years old. Not the school, not the governor, not the school board, not other, not a two or three parents that they, that, all the parents collectively vote for. We don't raise our families collectively. I know we like to say it takes a village, and that may be the case. It takes it may take a village as far as to just actually get through life and do it successfully. But there's no no government can force you to allow the village to make help make parental decisions for your children. Okay, that's the main thing I'm getting at here.
here, then they dove in a little bit more to a few more specifics about what they meant on some of those recommendations. So they wanted to incorporate student voice in all levels of decision making. One of, the, one of the students, she stated, let me be clear, this doesn't just mean including students at the table. It means authentically, there's a great word, authentically valuing their thoughts and opinions. In other words, if we say we want, need something, and you don't agree to give it to us, you're a bad person. You're harming us. You're not taking us into consideration. You know, that's, that's a... That's a as I've gotten older, I feel like I can look back on my own life and see when maybe I started to mature in, in, in different ways. And once I started realizing that I could offer advice or have a conversation with someone, even if they asked me for advice, I can't expect them to follow, like, maybe not expect them. It's not fair to la to label them as like not being smart or not doing what's best because they didn't do exactly everything that I said to do. But I kept getting the feeling from these students that it was like, if you gave any pushback to these items, it's because you're not listening to, to us as students authentically. And they're being told by the Lieutenant Governor Jacqueline Coleman that they're the true experts. So if you're being told by an adult, one of extreme power in the state, that you're the true expert, it doesn't matter if they're legislators or if they're just Joe Schmo on the street. If you're not listening to them, you're denying you're denying the facts, right? Like, so she went on to state her youth is something she has always had to apologize for in regards to legitimacy in the in conversations. Well, yeah. Because your youth, what that actually means is you don't know nothing. You're a baby. All right? If you're 17, you're still a baby to me. Because I know where I was at at 17. And I went through some tough stuff growing up. And I was still a baby. 13-year-old, you are an infant. Not just a baby. I mean, you're basically still on the, still on the teat. You're, you're on the baba still. So we got to stop fluffing stuff up with kids. And that's what, again, to go back to the football stuff, that's why I love football because we don't, there ain't no fluff in it. It is what it is. Like, you ain't an expert. Sorry, I said I ain't. You know, how, you know, you know who, I'm who I'm referencing here. Hopefully she's listening. Um, you are not an expert. You are not a grown-up. You are a recently graduated high school student with absolutely... No wisdom and no understanding of the real world yet, and that's not your fault. It just is what it is. You haven't experienced it yet. You've never bought your own toilet paper. If it, if, if your mom and dad didn't give you the $10 bill to go buy it with. So, I mean, take solace in that. Like, we can't hold you to that standard. We, un we, ha we understand you're going to make mistakes, but we we're not going to let you implement those mistakes on a statewide level. Or at least, if I have anything to do with it, we won't. This was also the part where I started t you know, 
taking key notes of this, and this is y'all. Y'all heard me talking about language a lot and defining terms and terminology and how they're weaponizing the English language against us right under our noses by defining should to mean must, right? In that fiduciary, or I'm sorry, in that treasury document that I, I'm always talking about. But we have to start listening for these trigger words and these trigger phrases. You know, anybody that's ever watched CNN and MSNBC and places like that, you'll hear the same little slogans all over the place. And that's what the conservative movement hasn't been good at. We're not good at that. We kind of rebel against common messaging because we all want to be original. But they started using these terms, the students and the lieutenant governor and the board member that was there, evidence-based and evidence-informed and follow the science and believe the experts and authentic conversations all these, all phrases like that should throw up red flags immediately. I ain't saying you stop listening to them or you cut or you block them out, but you better, you need to make a mental note to go back and look at whatever it is they were talking about because they start using those terms whenever things are questionable and they want to, and they want to shame you into not looking into it deeper. So again, pay attention to that. Evidence-based, evidence-informed, follow the science, believe the experts, yada, yada. They want suicide prevention curriculum offered twice a year. And, of course, they, they don't just want any suicide prevention curriculum. They want evidence-informed evidence suicide curriculum. Oh, great. Okay, I would have just put out some crazy nonsense on, on suicides. I wouldn't have even made sure it was evidence-informed evidence had I not read their recommendation. I, I wouldn't have done it. I would just, like... Wrote it up off the top of my head. I'm glad they reminded me to do that. What they really did was, since they said it needs to be evidence-informed, whatever they publish must be evidence-informed because they said they were requiring they were requiring it to be evidence-informed. So if they say this is the curriculum, there's no need for you to look into it anymore because since they said it was going to be, it is evidence-informed. Okay. Anybody who knows, uh, anybody who... Loves some loves them some Dr. Fauci will know what I know what I'm referencing here. How that you know, how the CDC weaponized and the NIH and all that weaponized you know scientifically backed and all that you know, all those all those terms during the pandemic. They want to allow mental health. They want to allow for mental health absences to be excused, but specifically they want six guaranteed excused absences of mental health. Every year for every kid. Sounds great, right? Anyone who's coached or taught or anything knows that even if something, if even if an absence is excused, it still doesn't take away from the fact that you weren't there for the material that was taught that day. And either the stuff we're teaching in schools matters or it doesn't. And so I may get some flack back on this because I know we've had some of our local groups here have gotten pushback from school administrators on, on uh, you know, being getting absences denied for being excused in regards to counseling and all that. But I'm just, I just think we may need to, we may need to really think about the ramifications, you know, of 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 certain policies um, like that. You know, what kind of documentation? Is there going to be any documentation required or just the parent 
signing off on it. You know, um, how, what's this going to do with funding? You know, is it, I mean, are those schools, hypothetically, there could be 20% of the student body decide one day that, hey, we want to skip school tomorrow to go on a trip or something, right? It's senior skip day. Well, if documentation isn't specific on what the, or, or, or they can't, or let's say they can't require specific documentation, it's just a parental note. Well, guess what? You have to have so many kids at school to get your funding in a given day. That's why sometimes they'll cancel school for some of you being out for flu or them being afraid some of you are going to be out for flu because they don't want to mess with their funding. So I just think we need to take a step back and you know look at you know how can these how can certain things be you know be uh, abused. Um, just what are the true ramifications of it? So we just passed a bill in state in the state legislature of Kentucky this past session HB forty four that everybody thinks guarantees people's rights to take mental health days. And I've heard, I've seen it be referenced several times, and I've tried to let people know that bill was just another bill that everyone thinks did some big sweeping thing, but it really didn't. It just it just stated that schools are now allowed to implement policies that does forgive mental health absences, like excused absences. It doesn't say they have to. It just says they can. But they touted it as if it said they had to. And now people think that says they ha- they think it says they have to, but it does not. Um, they want a licensed mental health professional every single day at every single school, K through 12. Sounds great. Do we have enough mental health professionals in this country to fill to fill that need? In addition to the other the needs we have in hospitals and in actual counseling centers and rehab centers and drug centers and like private practices, do we? I mean, do we even have that? I mean, this goes right back to like the school resource school resource officer conversation. We've been saying we want SROs in every school, and Jefferson County, Kentucky, has been saying for years they can't they can't recruit them, they can't afford them. Yada yada. Well, okay. We're just gonna add another one, another requirement into the mix. We already got a teacher shortage. We already got a bus driver shortage. Already got a SRO shortage, and now we're gonna have a mental health professional shortage. We're just never gonna get. We're just never get caught up. You know. But also, when I say this, it's like we've been, we've been going to school for how long, and gotten by, right? And we've all it's we've always felt as if you know th- there's no doubt that there's a stigma around mental health, no doubt about that. Okay, that you know we need to be more accepting of people that have issues and help them get you know help them get the care they need, um, you know through whatever means necessary. But my argument would be that the public school system, public education system has, 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 does not, has not given me the faith needed in, in how they're, and how they will administer such services to make me think they'll do so in good faith and include parents. And that was one thing like I specifically was so appreciative of Representative Jennifer Decker from Shelby County during this hearing because that was one thing she stated was, hey, listen, 
all this stuff is wonderful, I guess. But I'm not hearing, I haven't heard one word about parents. And she was right. There hadn't been one, the word, the name, the word parent had not been spoken out of anyone's mouth that in, the, the entire, the entire hearing. So they wanted to offer peer mentoring, peer support for students uncomfortable talking with an adult. So let me rephrase this and put this in, in like real world terms for you, which is my specialty. They're basically saying, uh, let's let one troubled kid go seek out wisdom from another troubled kid who most likely still ain't, still hasn't matured or been able to process their own issues all without an, all without an adult present. Gotcha. Sounds, sounds like a winning strategy. Again, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Okay, kids are going to seek out, you know, they're going to talk with their friends and they're going to, you know, they're going to communicate and get advice and all that. But I, I, don't, I don't think any of us actual adults would venture to say that more often than not, the advice you get from your peers at 17 is very sound or well thought out. It, you, they might get lucky and have like a gut hunch and send you in the right direction. But most likely, it's going to be fueled by emotions and what feels good and what feels like is the right thing to do whenever we all know that facts don't care about your feelings, right? And so they, but they, you know, they kept talking about, just kept coming back to that, just like peer mentoring, peer support. But the, you know, they said they were specific. This was for students uncomfortable talking with an adult. So, okay, so is the school going to have a peer, a peer support group specifically meant for kids that aren't comfortable talking with adults? So I have to assume they're not going to be required to tell adults anything. There's going to be some kind of confidentiality agreement, which means it's not going to get to an adult in the school, and it's for dang sure not going to get to the parents. That is, that is an awful idea, absolutely awful idea. Moving on. Girl, girl, this other another uh, female student said, uh, you know, she kept discussing, let's raise the student voice and, you know, and make it clear that they're the experts. Again, they said this again, but you're not, you're a kid. You may be able to tell us what your problem is and what's bothering you. But you're by no means qualified to determine the solutions to that problem. I'm not even being mean here. I'm just saying it's not like it's it's a very like we're talking about a very high risk gamble there we're taking. So again, when the focus on mental health awareness, that's fine. Require updated evidence informed mental health curriculum for K through twelve students. Offer opportunities to learn and be proactive in executing coping skills. So, okay, who determines this curriculum, this evidence-informed curriculum, and who determines what are the best coping skills? They also wanted to increase and improve professional development and require annual evidence-informed, let's make sure it's that, mental health professional development for all school staff all school staff 
So you you're handing out pizzas in the lunch line. You got more PD. You're in, you're a teacher's aide. You got it too. Office secretary. Yep, you got to go. I think sometimes, especially kids, they don't realize that there are things in life that are a zero sum game, right? Like that taking that taking away or allocating time to one thing directly takes time away from another thing. There's so only that you know time is an is an is a finite resource. Sometimes they don't get that. They just you know a lot of adults don't get that. They just think whatever you know they can't imagine that another adult doesn't think that whatever they do is so is is so important, right? I, but I would like to know what teachers think about that. You know, all I keep hearing is that teachers are, have, are required to do, you know, so much and they get paid. They don't get paid enough. And, you know, for what they have to do, well, okay, this is chill. This is their students tell, saying, hey, you don't do enough. You need to do more. Like, we know you're already taxed, but well, we, we need you to become mental health professionals. And now you're not just now you're not just on the hook for teaching us to read and write. Now you are responsible for our whole our whole child well-being. From head to toe. In, inside to outside, our well-being is your responsibility. That's way too much to put on teachers. And if we think we have a teacher shortage now, let's keep moving in that direction and let's see how let's see how short the number of teachers we are. Because I think it would be like it'd be astronomical. I mean, I don't. There may not. We may end up with zero. They discussed on July twenty-second the omnibus bill. That was passed, allocated $300 million towards expanding access to mental health, specifically in schools. Let me tell y'all something else. And I keep saying I'm going to do a deep dive into this, and, I'm, and I promise you I'm going to. It's just such a big endeavor that, that all this ESSER money and the American Rescue Plan Act money, I mean, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars. The student mental health, SEL, all that, like, so much of that money can go towards this. And that's why they're setting the scene for this now. Okay, like they didn't have the funds for it even three years ago to really implement it. Then here comes here comes the Rona, and they, they saw a window, and they are taking it. They are capitalizing on it. And they're, they're planting seeds. So when they start spending these millions and millions and millions of dollars on this stuff, they'll, they'll already be able to say that they, well, hey, well, you know, we told you. Right, we, well, we published a 437-page document to tell you we might, but we may be doing this stuff. Why didn't you read it? Well, guess what? I know you can't read it. That's why I'm. Go that's why I'm going to try to do the best I can with it. Not that you can't read it, but you don't have time. Real, real people don't have time. I'm just, I'm just a weirdo, and I'm a nerd, and I like that kind of stuff. And I know other nerds and weirdos that like that kind of stuff, and they know who they are, and they know I couldn't do any of this stuff without them. So, one of our Louisville representatives, Tina Bojanowski, this is then she took the time to make a point that like she wanted to stress the importance of social emotional learning in our classrooms. I only bring this up because I've played video for you for you all's listeners, for you all's groups and all that of Republican legislators in the state of Kentucky, and we're going to talk about some stuff in other states here in a minute as well, saying that so SEL and the overall well-being and emotional needs of students is their is is 
of the utmost importance. Republicans have also said that. We started, and they started talking about this, and I thought this was interesting. And this is probably this will, this will probably be brought back into the fold, brought back into the mix in another episode at some point in time. But again, they were just planting seeds in every direction, and they said, you know, we they basically started talking about um, care and being able to go to, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists or counselors or whatever, and that how many people aren't diagnosed, and they said diagnosis is privilege. So basically, like, you know, if you got a diagnosis, it's just because you're privileged and so many others can't get diagnosed because they don't have privilege and don't have health insurance. And so we have to administer that in the most, I guess, in what they think is the most efficient way possible by doing it in schools. Because these people, you know, they're, they're never going to have the means to be able to go to a psychiatrist. So we need to give teachers two days of professional development so they can diagnose you know, and then I'm a hey, guarantee you Pfizer and on places they're gonna be cooking up their own their own Adderall and Ritalin prescriptions so they can use that uh, those programs and the Democratic Party to pump up their stock prices and fill our kids full with prescriptions and figure out a way for teachers to do, to be able to write those things. I mean, just you just wait. <clears throat> and they specifically right after that. They referenced the ESSER funds and how they were going to use, they could use those ESSER funds for social emotional learning related materials and programs. Then, then came one of the most disturbing statements from any legislator in the room. Senator Reginald Thomas, also from Louisville. He made the statement he wants to give students not just a vote on the Kentucky Board of Education, but at every, but on the board of every district's school board and on every SBDM. So let's think about that for a second. We got these adults telling kids that you're, hey, you're the expert. You know what's best. You developed a plan. What do you have a job for then? But we're telling them this, and then we're telling them you should have a vote. You get a vote. Really? Do we really want that? I want all of y'all to sit back and think about what that means. If we have 13, 13 adults on a Department of Education board, and we add another seat or remove one of those 13 and make it a, a student seat, what is that student really adding? What value? What value are they adding being able to vote that they couldn't have added just by being, you know, having a consultant seat or having a seat in the room and being able to talk? It's all feel goody stuff. No one thinks that's a good idea. No one thinks it's smart for to let to let their eight year old pick their bedtime or pick or choose their dinner every night. So we may do it sometimes because we get lazy, but none of us think it's a it's a great idea. So if we don't think that's a great idea, how is it a great idea to let a, to let a kid vote on on matters that will affect millions and millions of children? 
The answer is it's not. And any adult that thinks it is does not deserve to be sitting in whatever seat they're sitting in. Reginald Thomas, if you really believe that, sir, I don't know you personally, and you seem like you're probably a good dude. But if you really believe that, you do not, you do, like, you don't, like, have the foresight to see the potential issues that, that that comes along with that. And you don't and you shouldn't be in that seat. You shouldn't be there. It just it's just plain and simple. Thank goodness for another Republican legislature here in Kentucky named Shane Baker. He's from East Kentucky. What up what up my boy my boy Shane listen he he's a great guy and we've gotten we're getting to know each other a little better and better but like he like he should he holds me at a little at arm distance and you know i'm not quite by, all the way behind the curtain yet but ho- hopefully he'll realize that i'm i'm in it i'm in it to win it and here to help at some point and i, I was so appreciative of his statement because he stated that his teacher constituents had told him they want to teach and they have no interest in being mental health professionals and y'all know that's been a consistent theme of mine that we are putting too much on teachers plates already and, and none of them went to school to do any of this crap. This like trying to be a, you know, a counselor or a psychologist or a child protective services agent or, you know, any of that. They didn't sign up for that. They wanted to teach kids to read and write and to prepare them for the real world. <laughs> or they don't want to be the mask police. Nor do I expect them to be. I don't want activist teachers. I want what we all think of when we think of teachers sweet kind caring men and women that have a deep desire to influence the next generation and help them become productive members of society and that do so with the knowledge that they're most likely foregoing certain financial um, benefits they could get by taking their talents elsewhere but they but they're more interested in serve and serving their communities. That's the kind of people I want there. So you know, it's like I said, I don't want I don't want teachers that are pushing back on mask policies and or and I for nature don't want teachers that are not wanting to tell parents that uh, they're the eight the nine year old in third grade is wanting to transition or a fourteen year old's pregnant that doesn't want to tell their parents that. I definitely don't want those teachers either. So thank you, Shane, for your pushback and for your questions and remarks because it couldn't be any more true um, that teachers do not want that. And just go back and listen to my previous three episodes and you will you will see that that is a consistent theme from coast to coast, north to south, east to west, all colors, creeds, religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. It's the same. They don't want to do it. The other woman that's there, I can't remember her name. She said she's on the Board of Education, though. She said, we don't have the luxury of only being teachers now. We have to focus on the whole child. So she basically just told any teacher that doesn't want to be a mental health professional, put up or shut up. Do it or get out. Once again, I got, I got notes in here from uh, Representative Jennifer Decker. 
stated she never heard any mention of parental rights or parental roles in the process. So when she gave those remarks, it was towards the end of that presentation. So she had listened to it all, and she hadn't heard the word parents, and I went back and watched it again, as boring as this hearing was, and it, parents weren't mentioned. Stated most children, students are minors. And you know, then she referenced how she knew some teachers had stated point blank they will never inform parents. And it's my hope that she was referencing my podcast on that Facebook comments thread I went through that was like an hour and 45 minute podcast, but I, I couldn't shorten it anymore. That's my hope is that she was referencing that because we had three verified teachers in the state of Kentucky that were saying that. They didn't care if the, if the kids were pregnant, if they were questioning their sexual identity, questioning their gender identity, questioning sexual orientation, if they were sexually active, they were doing drugs, if they were doing like if it wasn't illegal, they said they wouldn't they wouldn't tell they wouldn't tell the parents. In response to that, the board member that was sitting there stated, Well, the site based decision making councils at these schools, they have parental representation. That's that's the parental representation she said. Here's what I want you to hear. Kentucky Board of Education. Student advisory board Andy Bashir every every politician across this nation Republican and Democrat I'm not talking about parental representation I'm talking about my rights as an individual parent and the role I serve for my children I don't care if 400 million other adults vote and think that I'm doing that I'm me letting my kid play football isn't the right thing to do I don't care I'm overruling the 400 million of it of you and he's playing that's what I'm talking about and I think that's what what, what Representative Decker was talking about and all the other most of the other Republicans in that room were also thinking many of which I was sitting there texting with um so you know that, that that's the general uh, general overall theme of what this what that hearing was about, and I know I know this podcast has been a little all over the place, and I don't like doing shows like that. I, I mean, I prefer to be very well versed and have done my due diligence on from a research standpoint and seeking out counsel and you know information and all that before I do a podcast. You know that makes it hard for me to do a large quantity of them because it takes it just takes a lot of you know mental uh mental energy to do all those things but this this was just so important and i know i know most people aren't going to go listen to the two hour uh two hour committee hearing because it's it is like watching paint dry that's why i went in person because it's at least more exciting because i'm you can see people and there's you can follow on people's emotion, you know, like their emotions, their you know, facial expressions, you know, that that kind of thing. So yeah, so that to me that was the the as far as statewide and countrywide goes, that, that was the most important part of that hearing was that discussion because that's what that's the discussion that's happening everywhere. Okay, and the language that was being used is just so important, and I keep wanting to make make it a, make it a point 
to discuss with everyone that we have to pay attention to the language that's used even in legislation and and rules and regulations that we think we agree with we have to we have to be precise and realize that if we're not specific on what we want it will not be adhered to and so i got a couple other little things that i'm going to show you so we've already got i had a couple states that have tried to address some of this sel stuff the surveys gender ideologies gender ideology stuff those you know that those topics and we you know, i know everybody we all everybody if you're a conservative or republican you, you know, ron DeSantis is one of the guys that we all are very high on and think is you know take we're, take this country in the right direction but even those those legislators you got to go really read what laws are passing and and look at specific language all right so i'm gonna pull up this is florida hb 1557 that was just you know like the don't say gay bill or whatever it was nothing of the sort okay it was that didn't say anything like that but that was being framed as um this like terrible bill that was you know going against every you want know, to set you know going to set the you know the lgbtq the lgbtq movement back and population back generations and all that well even in that bill they include language that basically just overrides everything in it that you know that was possibly good so I'm gonna go back over to my dual screen here, and it's kind of show you what I'm talking about. And this is like, we gotta look at, it. we gotta read this stuff. So it, it goes on here. It's saying a school district may not adopt procedures or student supports forms that prohibit school district personnel from notifying a parent about his or her student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being, or a change in related services or monitoring, or that encourage or have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold from a parent such information. School district personnel may not discourage or prohibit parental no notification of and involvement in critical decisions affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. Sounds great. Let's keep reading. This subparagraph does not prohibit a school district from adopting procedures that permit school personnel to withhold such information from a parent if a reasonably prudent person would would believe that disclosure would result in abuse, abandonment, or neglect as those terms are defined. If Florida was actually worried about fixing the problem, they'd believe in what they were saying. But that section basically says we believe in it, what we're saying, but we don't want to be on the hook for it. So what's a reasonably prudent person? If I ask someone on the street, myself included, tell me the tell me some professions that you think by and large are full of the of the the highest number percentage wise of people that would be defined as a reasonably prudent person. You want me to tell you what the number one answer would be for me? I'm being honest. E even in today, even even right now, teachers. If teachers aren't reasonably prudent people, then God help us. So, this Florida law, 
It was just passed. It was being championed as the greatest thing since sliced bread on the third on the third side of the aisle. Literally backdoors everything it said because no one, no parent is going to be to is going to be to sue and argue in court that the teacher wasn't a reasonably prudent person. And as long as that person has a, has a reason for why they didn't disclose that information, if we all assume that they were reasonably prudent people because they have multiple degrees and we and we allow our children to go spend eight hours a day with them, well, it's all, they're, all they're going to do is bid is say, well, this is the reason I was worried about it. Okay, well, they're a reasonably prudent person, so benefit of the doubt goes to them. Because the law, even, I mean, the law specifically said it it's it itself okay so it's class the, the move on though the classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three great or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards Okay, so if they're in fourth grade, who determines that it was age appropriate, development, developmentally appropriate? All that all it would have to do is whoever that, I mean, everything inside the Department of Education, everything that's t- tied to the Department of Education is controlled by the left. It just is what it is. So they're defining age appropriate and developmentally appropriate why florida why 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 would you why did you why would you say that before administering a student well-being questionnaire another word for survey or health screening form to a student in kindergarten through grade three the school district must provide the questionnaire health screener form to the parent and obtain the permission of the of the parent I'm okay with that. They have to obtain they have to obtain permission from the parent. So there's no like opt there's no opt out. They have to opt in. And that's that's a very important part of that. And so like the didn't like the other parts in this bill, but that's actually one of the good ones. That's we have to we have to change from this opt-out culture to an opt-in culture. Like when, because what they do is they bury it in paperwork and to say they never got it back. Well, and we go, hey, we gave you the opportunity to opt out. If they were going on a field trip down the street and riding on a bus, and they didn't have something signed, you wouldn't be going on that field trip. Here's one from Pennsylvania. Also, supposed to be a great, uh, a great bill. With in regards to withholding information. Subsection 8 may not prohibit a school entity from adopting procedures that permit school personnel to withhold this information from a parent or legal guardian if a reasonably prudent person would believe, based on the documented testimony of the student or a history of documented incidents, that disclosure would result in child abuse or the child being abandoned. So it says, again, if a reasonably prudent person would believe, based on the documented testimony of the student, or a history of documented incidents. Okay, so 
troubled kid. Never he, they never they've never told a lie. They've never told a lie. They've never fabricated anything. I think every time my stepdad tried to whip me, I'd run I'd run down the street screaming child abuse. When I knew right then he wasn't doing that, he was just trying to help me, and then he wasn't gonna like he wasn't gonna wear me out and where I couldn't sit. He was just trying to give me what I needed, which was a little butt whooping. But according to this, all I'd have to do is say, I'm afraid he's going he's going to abuse me. My dad said that's going to abuse me. They can withhold whatever information. Again, a Republican legislature. Why? Age appropriateness, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity. Look at section two. May not occur in sixth through twelfth grade in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate in accordance with state standards. Well, if your state standards are controlled by are controlled by the left, and the left wants to teach sixth graders about gender identity, all they gotta do is put it on a piece of paper or a memorandum that it's age appropriate. At the beginning of the school year, each school entity shall notify parents and legal guardians of each health care service offered at the student school. Great. And the option, but within that it says, and also offer them the option to withhold consent or decline any specific service. No. Opt out is not acceptable. They should have to specify we want our children to be, to be able to access these services or they don't or they can't. Why would a Republican legislature do that? Why would they put that in there? It's because they ain't the real deal and they're scared. They're scared. They're letting their feelings get to them. They're all in their feels. We have to stop this nonsense. We either believe what we believe or we don't. It's as simple as that. One thing with the we came to the masking stuff and in our the bill we were trying to we were trying to use to get rid of the COVID stuff in uh, in Kentucky schools. One thing that we were specific about was that we wanted the language to be in favor, you know, of, of parents. That there was no opt there was no opt outs. If you didn't want to wear a mask, you just didn't wear a mask. If you didn't want to get a vaccination, you just didn't get one. That shouldn't that shouldn't be a contra, controversial uh, opinion or thing to think. During my time in there, I was also very specific that I felt like Kentucky, just like I've been saying with you guys, that we like we have an opportunity here to lead the country in things. We have a great group of grassroots individuals that are in it to win it and in the trenches and ride or die on this stuff, of which I would consider myself that's willing to put in the work. Kentucky is we're the gateway to the West, man. Manifest destiny would not have occurred without the state of Kentucky. We are the middle of the country. We're the average man. We're the average dude, average woman, God-fearing, love our country, serve our country. We have an opportunity here to really, to actually lead and do the right thing. Because even the even the other states in this union that are saying they're doing those things, they're not. 
Let's do it. Kentucky senators, Kentucky House you know, House reps, let's do it. Let's do. Let's actually do the right thing and what we all know that needs to be done. No loopholes. No like language shenanigans. Just do it. I I'll have your back. As long as you include me in on, on this process where I know what's going on and I know what, what the bills are and how, what the wording's like. I mean, I, I got you. And I'll use my platform any way possible to spread the word on this stuff. So I didn't get to talk at all about the what was discussed about uh, from Dr. Marty Polio and specific to Jefferson County. I'll do that in another probably a live stream that won't be like a podcast. I'll just do it in our, in our Jefferson County groups. But one specific thing, this will be the last thing I'm talking about. One of our state reps, Tina Bojanowski, she notated that there's been a crazy number of, increased number of like nonverbal children coming into kindergarten that are clinically disabled because of their nonverbal, the nonverbal nature of their communication style. I wanted to scream at her and say, Tina, duh. They're in kindergarten, so they're five. COVID started two years ago. They spent 40% of their lives not being able to see adults and child care workers and teachers' faces. Of course they're nonverbal. What did you expect, sweetheart? I don't mean, what did you expect? So, it's my last appeal. Get these masks off the kids everywhere. All right, so, again, I know this thing ran a little long. It's an hour and 22 minutes. Couldn't really get it any shorter. I apologize. It's important. We got shorter ones that are going to be coming here in the near future because we're going to be doing more and more of this stuff and getting more quantity out. Just got to make sure we, I'm keeping the quality up as well. So, again, you can like, share, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. And appreciate you appreciating that stuff that you that you do. I, I really hope this thing gets spread by word of mouth and you know by grassroots, organic, um, in organic nature. Follow me on Twitter, Rumble, Facebook, yada yada. You know that you know the deal. Thanks a lot for listening. Hope you got something out of this. And I'll probably have another one coming for y'all here in the next forty eight hours. So y'all have a great rest of your evening. Thank you.